Whether you're on the go with a summer vacation or decide to spend your free time with a staycation, the No-So's got you covered. Relive your favorite era of wrestling with New Gen on a Mission, Wrestling Warzone, Extreme Three-Way Dance, or the Ruthlessly Aggressive Podcast. Keep in touch with the modern era with GC Dub, Clotheslines and Headlines, You Know What That Means, and Viewer's Choice, or sit down and nerd out with No Holds Barred, WWE War, or The Wrestler That Was. It's summertime, and the living is easy. Because you've got the North-South Connection. NorthSouthConnection.com Podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at PlaceToBeNation.com The only place to be in your pop culture world. Place to be, nah, dude. Come over here, this where it's at. Yo, 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 yo. Place to be is on my side, dude. Cause you don't wanna be the target when I fly the coop. Nah, place to be is on my side, dude. Cause you don't wanna be the target when I fly the coop. Buenos dias. Man, man. We call it the, uh, the place to be. Place to be, yeah. Then I shall be. It is contagious. It is the place to be. And we are live each and every Monday. To do worse than Josh Richard. Place to Be Nation proudly presents a powerful pair of pro wrestling pundits. It's JT Rosero and Scott Criscolo. And this is the Place to Be Podcast. Welcome back to the great episode of the one and only Place to Be Podcast. I am your co-host, Jesse Rosero, coming to you here on this Monday inside the PTVN studios. And joining me, as always, is my PIC, Mr. Scott Criscolo. How are you? I am well, JR. Always good to be with you, sir. Hello, PTB Wrestling Network friends and family. Welcome to episode 631 of the longest running episode of the fucking gold standard. 69 <laughs> episodes to seven bills. Uh, JR, how are you? Things are well in this July. It's good to see you. Uh, yeah, of course. So it was good to see you as well. And keep cheering along through another another hot summer here in New England. Although rainy, yes. kind of a weird summer. It's kind of like, like a, it was a weird winter. Yeah. It was also like a weird, it was a weird winter too. So <laughs> stuck in this endless pattern of humidity and rain. But uh, we make our way through it as always, of course, and yes. uh, celebrate together. And tonight. Bring in one of our uh, really good friends, of course, here in the world yes. of North South Connection and Place to Be uh, Nation. He uh, pops in from time to time on multiple podcasts. He's uh, a mainstay on Cronoso over on the North South Connection. You hear him time to time, too, on a lot of our current day duty uh, video podcast specials. And that is our wonderful friend, Mr. Rocco Martone. Rocco, how are you? Uh, I'm great, man. Uh, I'm good to date, but I'm, uh, you don't want to marry me, I guess. You know, <laughs> put me on a show now and then. Bring me out of like a booty call. Yeah, you are. <laughs> nice, you're a great booty call, of course. Also, the lead singer for uh, Chain to the Dead. Be sure to check out yes. all their promotional information on social media for a show in your area and check them out. Thanks for the show. Of 
course, always. Uh, tonight, we're going to be talking Hell in a Cell 2009. But as we usually do, before we get into that, we're going to travel back in time, 14 years to 1995. Scott, what was going on in the world of wrestling on this very day that year? Well, uh, let us go to October 4th. 1995, uh, WCW uh, did not have anything going on this evening, but the WWF was at one of their favorite haunts, uh, the Royal Albert Hall in uh, jolly old London. So, uh, of course, they they did a sh- big show there four years earlier that was uh, put on a tape, and I think you and I covered that show sometime back in the past, uh, JR. Mm-hmm. Um, this show is not that. <laughs> But uh, if you remember two, if you remember two weeks ago on our last show, uh, we compared a, a pair of uh, a pair of um, uh, WWE house shows from 1995 with our good friend Steve Bennett, and they were uh, one was eh, the other was absolutely terrible. Well, we only have one, and they're kind of mushed together. So here we go from October 4th, 1995, from the Royal Albert Hall in London. Man Mountain Rock defeats Rad Radford. Off to a great start. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Waylon Mercy defeated Bob Holly with the sleeper. Bam Bam Bigelow pinned Psycho Sid with blocking the power bomb into a backdrop. That was the finish. Terrible. Uh, Jean Pierre Lafitte pinned Aldo Montoya with the cannonball. Hunter Hearst Helmsley pinned Henry Godwin with a roll up and using the ropes for leverage after Godwin turned an attempted pedigree into a backdrop. Oh, God. Two of those on one show? Owen Hart pinned Fatu with a roll-up after Yokozuna came ringside and distracted Fatu. Uh, one cousin to another. Razor Ramon pinned Dean Douglas with the Razor's Edge. And in the main event, our World Wrestling Federation champion, Big Daddy Cool Diesel, pinned Yokozuna with a flying crossbody. After the match, the champion gave Owen Hart the powerbomb. Yeesh. <laughs> There's three ECW world champions on that card, mm-hmm. but uh, other than that. The last few matches were probably not terrible. I don't know. They're down pretty bad right now during that time, but, it seems. Yeah. I mean, Bigelow, Bigelow Sid sounds fun, but I don't know what the hell that finish even could look like. Uh, Sid is like, and this is a bad time he's now. not great at this point. I mean, they have that match. I think it's in your house three or four. Don't Bigelow and Sid have a match? I think it's in your house three. It's no bueno. Yeah. I was checked out in 95 of WWF, so I did not know. I think most of us were kind of <laughs> to a certain, in some capacity. Thank God for ECW and a modicum of, uh, of WCW. Or Sid take me fight Henry Godwin. It's some real bad match. I forget. Uh, Sid Godwin. Doesn't he flip? Isn't that like kind of where he, or are we looking, thinking about 96? Now I'm confused. I don't know. Whatever. Don't Fuck know. it all. All right. What else you got? Uh, that is it. The okay. WCW had nothing on this evening. They were obviously a couple weeks out of, um, uh, fall brawl getting ready for Halloween Havoc and of course Herb will probably have some info on that. ECW had nothing going on however I think the Steve Austin Vignettis were rolling mm-hmm. at this point he might have actually been on camera even at this point on TV I'm not sure but in any event that is it for uh, throwback shows on this date October 4th 1995 so JR let us uh, fire up the he was uh, batting about 500 two weeks ago on his reports Thanks to Meltzer. <laughs> he did okay, yeah. Um, yes, he's been riding the Meltzer wave. And um, as you all heard, a lot, most of the conversation in this was about all the guys jumping over to WCW in New Japan, Ben Walker, Armalenko, et cetera. So let's see if that continues to be the talk of the town. September 14th, 1995, Batch of Herb Coons tidbits. 
Fall Brawls on Sunday. Tentative lineup has Hogan, Savage, Sting, and Vader versus Shark, Zodiac, Kamala, and Ming in War Games. And if Hogan's team wins, Hogan gets five minutes alone with Sullivan. Flair versus Anderson, Buck and Slater versus Harlem Heat for the tag titles. DDP versus Renegade for the TV title. <coughs> Excuse me. Johnny B. Bad versus Brian Pillman with the winner getting a U.S. title match. And Craig Pittman takes on Cobra, formerly Thunder of Thunder Lightning. It is likely that Vader won't be in the main event, possibly be replaced by Lex Luger. WF comes to Toronto's Maple Leaf Gardens on Sunday. Diesel versus Waylon Mercy. Sid versus Shawn Michaels. Yokozuna and Owen Hart versus the Smoking Guns. Undertaker versus Kama. 1-2-3 Kid versus Dean Douglas. Fatou versus Jean-Pierre Lafitte. Alda Montoya versus Hunter Hearst Helmsley. And Barry Horowitz versus Skip. Does this look dreadful enough or what? The guy who's most worth seeing wrestles one of the guys I'd le- least like to see. And that main event promises to be dreadful. This is the last day of card Toronto for this year. Amazing, since we used to get bi-weekly independent shows, headlined by Angela Mosca, that got 12,000 seats. The WF has the hype machine at full force. The Sid is coming to Toronto early to be part of a press conference and promotion. They've been trying to run regular house shows, but they aren't being well-supported by fans. And they've had to even cancel shows here and there. I'll see if I get this straight. On the second Monday Night Show episode this past uh, week, again, TNT is only available via satellite this year. Eric Bischoff did several things that pissed off people in RSPW. He mentioned the results of a taped match with some Raw. He called Dodev Bush League. He criticized Shawn Michaels' super kicks and reminded people that champion Diesel had only ever achieved mid-card status in WCW. Okay, I admit it. I don't get it. Why the excitement? Nothing particularly new in any of the above. Will it really have any effect on fans? Did people choose to watch Monday Night Raw after hearing any of the above? Will it sway fans from one to the other? I don't know. People here praise this kind of stuff when any minor North American promotion did it. Why is this any different? The 925 Nitro features Dean Malenko versus Eddie Guerrero live, and a rematch will air on Saturday night the week after. It's been mentioned in the news group a few times with the future of Big Van Vader where WCW is in question. Him and Paul Orndorff got into a brawl. Despite Vader apologizing for the incident and Orndorff not standing in the way of Vader returning, Bischoff is in a tough position when it comes to dealing the now indefinitely suspended Vader. To maintain an authoritative control over the locker room, Vader has to be treated sternly for getting to a member of the booking committee. At the same time, while he's sidelined, he draws his, his enormous salary. If he's fired, the salary issue is dealt with, but Vader will likely head to the competition. The only good situation for WCW is the worst for Vader. Bring him back and job him out and make him quit. The situation allowed WCW to hold Vader to his contract and block him from working for the WWF. Apparently, Lex Luger is working for Dodea for that a contract before jumping to WCW for a more lucrative and promising offer. Even though he's going to figure into the headline Dodea feud, the jump to WCW for a rarely offered guaranteed contract couldn't be passed up. This talk that Luger will eventually be worked at the spot being the fourth horseman with Flair, Anderson, and Pillman. Dean Douglas debuted this past weekend on Superstars working as 1-2-3 Kid in a lackluster match. I found it disappointing and I'm close to dropping my weight and see attitude on Douglas in the ring to replace it with a thumbs down. On another note, Dustin Rose's goldless character doesn't waste ring time primping and getting a simple gimmick over. They'll let him work and try and make the gimmick more complex. In your house, 3 to uh, September 24th, Yokozuna on a heart versus Diesel Michaels with all the titles on the line. Razor Ramon versus Dean Douglas. Bret Hart versus Jean-Pierre Lafitte. Bam Bam Bigelow versus Davey Boy Smith. I guess this answers our question. Sid versus Henry Godwin. And <laughs> Savio Vega versus Waylon Mercy. While I enjoy Shawn Michaels, the main event can only be so strong if him and Owen get to do a lot. The best match in the lineup would likely be the heart match since Lafitte is going to work hard. UFC-style pay-per-view on October 7th, Halloween Havoc on October 29th, with Hogan versus the Giant, Pillman and Anderson versus Flair and Sting, Vader versus Ming, and a strap match, Savage, Kamala, 
DDP, Johnny B. Bad, and Hawk versus Kurosawa. Benoit, Guerrero, Malenko are also expected to be added to the show. WWE has a pay-per-view on uh, September, <clears throat> excuse me, November 26th. This show will apparently feature the return of Doom, who are much of the team a few years back. So that's it for this batch, guys. you have any thoughts on these notes? It just the thing with Vader is always like it's he always seemed like such a like a, a crazy monster and all this stuff. And then like when I finally saw him in WWF and he just gets kicked in the face by Sean, this little bitch just punks him out. And it's just like uh-huh. it's like I guess bullies are just pathetic people, right? Like like you could be a bully as much as you want until someone calls you out on it, and then you just go back to being a fucking loser. So I don't know that whole Orndorff thing is just crazy to me. It's it's such a strange story. It is weird because we felt a lot of pity and sympathy for Vader because he just kept jobbing out to Hogan. But we realized that, you know, he was kind of a dick. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, he got yeah. over by, like, hurting, like, dudes. Like, like being a, j- a dick to Cactus Jack, like, the nicest guy in wrestling history. Like, I know. Yeah, no, it's it's it was, it's was pretty shitty. I, I think karma's a bitch. But, yeah, good way to um, but yeah, I could see it. I could see it. I like that. Keep him, job him out, make him quit. What a douche. Look, at if a douche is going to do it to a douche, then maybe that's the way they, they would have done it. But it just seemed like such a mess. Yeah, like isn't the the Malenko uh, Guerrero uh, ECWs were when they was were right or right before this, right? Uh, it was right before August? they left. Yeah, yeah right before they left. Yeah, yeah. It was like they were August, amazing. Right? Yeah, the matches were amazing. Yeah, it's pretty cool that they're just going to add that to like every show they can to just mm-hmm. make him have like sick matches. Yeah, pretty much. All right, let's go ahead a week to. September 21st. Fall Brawl took place on Sunday. Usual mixed bag. Eddie Guerrero's debut in the pregame show in a match against Alex Wright was marred by cheesy entrance music and stupid commentary. Not to mention Alex not being up to working with Eddie. It was still a plus match with a lot of promise. Disco Inferno also debuted in the pregame show. Nothing special in the squash, but I was surprised I actually enjoyed the gimmick. Inferno essentially plays a honky-tonk man type role, complete with a neckbreaker finish in this match, but seems a lot more enthusiastic and energetic. And he's a good worker. His arrival has potential. Pillman versus Bad was 29 minutes of match time. Good and great work by Bad. And this was one of the good on paper matches, but I don't think anyone expected this type of booking. Flair versus Anderson. Flair seemed a lot fresher than he has in recent time. These guys work better together than I expected. The interview building to this point, this match, the inclusion of Pillman in the storyline are all good things. Low points. Hulk Hogan's influence putting on the final nail in the coffin of what was once a good gimmick match in War Games. The Dungeon of Doom are absolutely terrible. In my nightmare, I'm not sure I could create a worse group of heels or do a poor job of getting them over. Renegade was abysmal, although I'll go on a limb and say he's better than I remember his dreadful role model Ultimate Warrior ever being, which is bullshit. Colonel Parker and Sherry Martell continuing their stupid love story. This is an idea of questionable potential to begin with, but it's come off so stupidly that it needs to be abandoned quickly. It was not. (laughs) Go for another two years. Speaking of low points, WCW announced that Dusty Rhodes, God, I hate her, would become the regular color commentator on Saturday night. Not to be outdone, WDF has moved Doc Hendricks off superstars in favor of Jerry Lawler. The good news is the Observer reports that Gene Oakland's contract to WCW has run out and it likely won't be renewed. The legal staff won't let me talk about this here, so call the hotline. Uh, him shitting on Dusty as a commentary just shows that we're, me and Herber is about <laughs> diverse as it comes when it comes to fan. Yes, I agree. There's talk that WDF and Jeff Jarrett are talking again and that Jim Neidhart will be returning. The WDF is in your house three on Sunday. Uh, same lineup here. First ratings are in for the Monday Night Wars. Last week, Raw got a 2.2. Nitro got a 2.5. The first Nitro did a 2.9. This coming week's Raw versus Nitro should be interesting since both shows are live. WDF has a WrestleMania special on Fox September 30th. 
UFC style on October 7th, In Your House on October 22nd, Diesel versus Bullog, Undertaker versus Mabel, Halloween Havoc is the same card, uh, Doom still sh- coming in November, blah, blah, blah. Not much cooking there, but any comments at all? <laughs> Doom coming in. What the fuck? <laughs> Where the hell did he get that from? Doom coming back. Yeah, I don't know. That's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. What do you got? What do you think, Rocco? Yeah, I got nothing. Yeah, that's it's it's a rough. The business is really. <laughs> I mean, it's rough. It is a, like you're saying, Justin. It's an interesting thing to just uh, hang your head on this shitty take. Mm-hmm. Like I have a shitty take, and it's going to be my whole personality. Dusty's a fucking bad this and that. Like, like people need to get better personalities and just not base their personality on having shitty takes. Uh, and this is how it was during this. Where really Herb is kind of a pioneer of what would become like the main talking points of the internet wrestling community, right? In the late nineties and early two thousands. And unless you were like, you know, a high flying little guy, or whatever, right. At work rate, Marvel, everything was stupid and sucked and whatever. So well, that's how it is with the early adopters of like any kind of stuff is that they become the people that dictate right. how the dialogue goes. And right. it's the same thing with like message boards for film comics, like mm-hmm. the angry jerks who just throw out shitty terms and act like assholes started it. And then it just people just kept doing it that way. And it's like, no, you don't have to be a fucking asshole to comment on shit. But it just seems like the early adopters all kind of just went that way. All right. So September 28th, our final batch here. Do you have in your house took place Sunday? Yet again, a usual mixed bag. At least both major promotions are giving us something good regularly. In this case, the highlight was Jean-Pierre Lafitte's somersault tope. They saw a miss hitting Bret Hart and take the bump to the floor. Jim Ross even squeezed in calling it a somersault plancha amidst a prattle of his co-commentators who don't know names of any moves. Bigelow and Dave Boy Smith worked as good of a match as you'd expect those inconsistent workers to do. Nothing special, but not bad. Ramon and Douglas was Douglas' second attempt against an opponent who could put on a good match, but he didn't deliver anything special. If anything, Douglas was the weaker guy in the ring with a lot of flubs. It seems though they were setting up a triangular match with Razor, Douglas, and the kid. Vega, Vega versus Mercy was bad as expected, even though Vega went over in a somewhat surprise ending. Sid versus Godwin was terrible, and the commentators had a hell of a time trying to make it sound good. The main event, where to begin with the main event? Owen Hart is replaced by David Boy Smith. That's fine. But then they go and have the faces pin Owen Hart anyway. Not too long ago, seemingly everyone in the news group bitched when WCW had non-participant Ric Flair pinned to finish a match. Now people seem willing to forgive the WWF for doing essentially the same thing because it fuels the storyline. Sure, they did it to get people to tune into Raw for an explanation of things, but it must have made Raw an entertaining show. But if people spending $14.95 to see pay-per-view play secondary role to people who tune in on a cable TV show, WDF is screwing up its priorities. I don't want to give the show a thumbs down because there's some good work, but it's awfully close to crossing the line. Uh, he goes through a whole bit uh, from the Globe and Mail about social studies and wrestling. I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. <laughs> WDF has WrestleMania on Fox this weekend on TSN in Canada on Monday. There's lots of talk that WDF uh, will file suit to stop WCW from using Lex Luger, who they claim they still have under contract until January of 96. Raw versus Nitro ratings war thus looks like this thus far. We covered that earlier, so we need to get that again. Um, the 918 show, Raw at a 2-5 and beat Nitro at a 2-4. So there you go, the first live to live. WrestleMania special on 9-30, UFC pay-per-view on October 7th. In your house on October 22nd, Diesel versus British Bulldog. Shawn Michaels versus Dean Douglas. Smoky Guns versus Owen Hart and Yokozuna. Undertaker versus Waylon Mercy. Razor Ramon versus Sid. Hakushi versus Skip. Undertaker versus Mercy match looks absolutely abysmal. Two matches do show promise. And yes, I'm going to give Douglas a third chance at bat. If he can't deliver against Michaels, he's out of here. WCW is Halloween Havoc on October 29th. 
Hogan versus Giant, Pillman and Anderson versus Ric Flair and Sting, Savage versus Kamala, DDP versus Bad, Hawk versus Kurosawa, Sabu versus Jerry Lynn. After Page is showing against Renegade and Bad against Pillman, I feel like the three promising matches on this lineup. Uh, WCW pay-per-view on November 26th. Show will feature Doom as well as Miami, Manami, Toyota, and Mariko Yoshida versus Bull Nakano and Akira Hokuto. The women's match easily has match of the year potential. WCW has Starcade in late December. Talk will be that WCW will battle New Japan stars in a series of matches with the winning promotion scoring points. Sounds promising, although the thought of Hulk Hogan versus Shinya Hashimoto leaves a lot to be desired. Heck, if it's preceded by Benoit versus Jushin Liger, as rumored, and involves Otani, Guerrero, Malenko, Samurai, Brian Pillman, Alex Wright, etc., could be very good. This talk that WCW will use a tape of the 11-13 New Japan Sumo Hole show to get wrestlers over before attempting to drop pay-per-view buys. And that does it for Herb. Guys, any final thoughts before we move along? Who the oh, fuck yes. is getting this Doom thing? This is getting <laughs> annoying now. Like, where the hell is he getting this from? <laughs> Still hanging on. I mean, Simmons, close. when was he in ECW, Rocco? Like, was he already coming on by then? Yeah, by far. I think that was shit killing me. I mean, he was there for like such a small period. But even, I think that like, was late 94 into early 95. Yeah, yeah. it was. Yeah. But I mean, the idea of Butch Reed wrestling in 1995 is mm. fucking insane. Like, right. Dude. Well, and Simmons is a bit of ways away from Farouk as well. Like that's not till July of '96. So I don't know what's going on. It's just weird. I Where mean, you do you, you do have your very uh, rare Sabu Jerry Lynn EWCW match, mm-hmm. which uh, mm-hmm. I do love. That it was a fun match. No doubt. All right. So all that said, uh, most of Herb's notes I would say this week not as based in reality, more based in fantasy. Keeping it real, also based son. on fantasy was Mariah Carey with the number one song in the nation Shining in 2 weeks on the chart it was number 1 last week so back to back weeks uh the number 1 song on our last episode Gangsta's Paradise by Coolio uh, that dropped to number 2 You Are Not Alone Every, pretty much most of this top 10 is almost the same as as uh as 2 weeks ago just all in different spots You Are Not Alone by Michael Jackson at 3 Kiss from a Rose by Seal at 4 of course from Batman Forever Runaway by Janet at 5 so Michael's at 3 Janet's at 5 uh, Waterfalls by TLC at 6. Only Want to Be With You by Hootie and the Blowfish at 7. I Can Love You Like That by All For One at 8. As I Lay Me Down by Sophie B. Hawkins. I totally forgot about this song. At number 9. And I Got Five On It by Loonies at 10. Um, yeah. I'm looking down here at the 20s. Oh, my God. That's a lot of R&B, man. It is. And it was a big year in 1995 for that. It was a lot of R&B. I do like I do like that the the fantasy like the Tom Tom Club but part of that song gets like guys from Talking Heads a number one hit in 1995 which is pretty cool because yes. the interpolation of the Tom Tom Club song it definitely got them paid so that's pretty cool that is very cool I agree and the old Dirty Bastard of it all as well mm-hmm. 
Oh, 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 DB. All right. Although uh, that was, uh, was he in the original? He was like in the, in remake, the remix. Wasn't he? Yeah. 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 Yep. I think at that age, and I think I was eight, 19, I was definitely uh, watching the video pretty mm-hmm. more, more intently than I would listen to her, uh, mm-hmm. you know, sing. Yeah. Uh, no, she yeah. was, she was, she was hitting the early 90s. Every time I hear it on like 90s on nine or one love or one of the other channels on Sirius XM, I always listen to like, um, you know, like 91 to 93 Mariah. Like she's, she's already there. Like I heard mm-hmm. Someday today from 91, which is like literally the first hit. And I'm like, wow, she sounds like a baby. And then here you are, here we are four years later and like fantasy is amazing. So it's amazing how easily, how she rose so easily in those first few years of the nineties. Crazy. Um, so we'll go from the radio to the big screen and check out the weekend chart in theaters for this week, October 6th, 1995, number 10. Oh boy. Showgirls. Lots of Elizabeth Berkeley's jugs and mm-hmm. not much else. <laughs> the rest of that, the rest of that movie is crap. So if you if you were a Jesse Spano junkie and you wanted to see more of her, have at it. It's not much, it's not much else to go on from there. The number one she movie, was, the number the one. Thir- movie, she was the third on my list of people to be put into that movie. Oh, that that cast for the record. Well, yeah. Uh, at number nine, it was our number one movie. For, as you can tell how far this fell in a month. Uh, the number one movie from our episode two weeks ago, Tu Wong Fu, thanks for everything, Julie Newmar, dropped to nine. Uh, number eight, uh, oh, God. Um, my favorite horror franchise of all time, but easily the worst movie of them all, Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers. The theatrical version of this movie is absolutely fucking terrible. The director's cut, which would show up in the middle of nowhere years later, is Slightly better, still not great, but better than this. The theatrical version of this movie is absolute crap. But anyway, Paul, Paul Rudd's uh, debut. Paul Rudd's debut. He was fine. The story is shit. Mm-hmm. But the, uh, the the director's cut that came out, what maybe ten years later, fifteen years later, is ten times better. Anyway, uh, at number seven, Devil in a Blue Dress. Number six, The Big Green. I remember those two movies. Uh, three movies made debuts in the top five. At number five, How to Make an American Quilt. At number four, on its 25th week, To Die For. I don't remember that, actually. Gus Van Sant, uh, Nicole Kidman. Is that a Gus Van Sant movie? Yeah. Uh, Numbers three and two uh, were um, uh, premieres for that week. Dead Presidents at number three. And Assassins, Little Sly at number two. Sylvester Stallone and and, uh, what's-his-face? Antonio Bendes, I think. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then number one, the greatest Dustin Rhodes gimmick of all time. My name Seven. Yes. The movie Seven. One week. It is the number one movie. Of course, Seven with Brad Pitt, Samuel Jack. Uh, no, Morgan Freeman. And uh, one of the better roles for Kevin Spacey. We won't uh, spoil the ending if you've never seen it, but it's uh, pretty fucked up. But pretty good movie, though. Pretty good movie. That movie rules. So. Assassins yeah. was written by the uh, Wachowskis, who did uh, the Matrix. Yes, did great. Uh, the uh, Big Lebowski, right? Yeah. Um, so, nineteen as good as the music was in nineteen ninety five, the movies in nineteen ninety five were left a little, yeah, a little shaky, a little bit to be desired. But anyway, um, okay, let us go to uh, sports in nineteen ninety five. We are in the major league. Uh, we're in the playoffs now. The first year of wild cards. Jr. should be very thrilled. 
because it's the first time in his life. Well, I shouldn't say that you were a year old when they went to the world series, but um, since you've been paying attention your first year that the Bronx bombers made it to the postseason, there were all game twos of the division series on this date. They didn't, they didn't have a lot of variety with the schedule back then. Uh, Indians shut out the Red Sox at Jacobs field for nothing. Braves beat the Rockies seven to four at Coors field. Reds beat the Dodgers out in LA five to four. And the last game of the night, I will never forget this game. I was home watching it with my dad. I think Dr. G was with me. 15th inning in a drizzling Yankee Stadium. I think it had to have been almost 2.30 in the morning. Jim Leyritz with a two-run homer off of Tim Belcher. And the Yankees beat the Mariners 7-5. to JR, take a two games to none lead. Yep, Cloud we'll nine, we'll sweep the Mariners and go on to great now. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off, Jack McDowell. Um, mm. Of course, we all know what happened. The Yanks would go to the Kingdom, and um, I still blame Jack McDowell. He sucks donkey ass. Um, I so I remember I mean, that I, game. I remember that game vividly as well. I was at a bar. I was underage, but I found a bar that would sell to underage people. Wonderful. They, when they let us buy, we decided to stay there and watch the game there, and we watched the entire game and smoked weed with this really crazy uh, man. In the East Orange, New Jersey, right around the block from where we're going to talk about later. But yes, that game, yes, exactly. We saw that game and that blew our minds watching. Yep. I remember it was a Wednesday night because then there was an off day, and then Game Three, Four, and Five in Seattle. That's David Cohn threw like David Cohn threw like one hundred ninety nine thousand pitches in Game Five. Yanks had the lead, and then Jack McDowell sucked a big pile of dick. So uh, there we go. So there were the Game Twos on this date. Well, so we will uh, we will eschew baseball, and now. To take the field. All right. All right. Last week, uh, me and Steve Bennett went to war. Uh, he beat me by one, 14 13, uh, where we got the high majority correct. And uh, Rocco, we'll see if you can Oof. keep up the hot streak tonight. Yeah, I was watching baseball in 95. Uh, <laughs> the Giants uh, kind of did not. Set my heart ablaze. In yeah, we, uh, so. yeah, we, we, we pretty much talked. We pretty much talked about that uh, <laughs> two weeks ago. So. Yeah, I think I tapped out of the NFL pretty quick, but I will try. All right. So this is week six, week six of the 1995 NFL season. All games on October 8th and 9th. Of course, New York fans that night could give two shits about either of the New York teams because that was Game Five at the Kingdom that evening. But we'll get started. So we'll start at Rich Stadium in Buffalo. As the Bills, speaking of New York teams, take on the J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 J-R. Well, the Jets win three games this year, but I'm going to venture to say this is not one of them. I'm going to take the Bills at home. Yes. Rocco? Yeah, I have to agree. The Jets. Who was your starting quarterback, J-R? Do you remember? Uh, well, I know Boomer. Well, it was Boomer. Boomer was probably hurt because he didn't start here. Uh, wasn't uh, Glenn Foley wasn't there yet. Nope. Was it... Uh, Fuckface, uh, what's his name? Zolak? No. Bubby. He's later. Oh, Bubby Brister. That's right. Bubby Brister? Yep. Wow. Yep. He threw for a, a mind-boggling 112 yards. <laughs> oh, God. Bills beat the Jets 29 to 10. Bad 74 year. yards. Was Corbett a rookie? Yeah, I don't think he was there the year before. That is the stupid fake spike the year before really, um, really – Sent them careening. It cost Pete Carroll a job, but they would have been better if they just kept him instead of Cote. The whole thing was a disaster. Yeah. So, anyway, 
Bills win 29-10. We move to Soldier Field in Chicago. The Bears host the Carolina Panthers. Rocco. Ooh, I'll go with the Bears. Okay. JR? Uh, yeah, me too. All right. Well, the Panthers, expansion team, a little frisky, but not frisky enough. Eric Kramer threw for 259. Bears win 31-27. Rashawn Salam, I think, was a rookie. Threw a rush for 105 yards. We go to the hole in the roof, Texas Stadium in Irving. The Cowboys host the Green Bay Packers, Jr. Ooh, this is a tough one. Both are really good this year. I believe it's a preview of the NFC Championship game as well, I think. You are correct. Um, but I will go Dallas at home. Okay. Rocco? Ooh, I know they were really good that year, so I'm going to go the other way. It was the uh, preview of the NFC Championship. And just like the NFC Championship, the result was the same. The Trinity did well. Troy threw for 316. Emmett rushed for buck six. The playmaker, 150 yards receiving. Cowboys win 34-24. We go down to Jacksonville. I don't even know what the hell the name of the building was at that point. I guess it was the was it the not the Citrus Bowl. AEW Collision Arena. I guess yes, the (laughs) Rampage Collision Arena. Uh, Probably the Gator Bowl in Jacksonville. No, that's yeah. Uh, The Jags hosting the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, Rocco. The Steelers. Yeah, coming off their Super Bowl. Oh, no, they're going to the Super Bowl this year. Yeah, Super Bowl season for sure. Jaguars were nothing year one. Year two they turn around, but year one not much. Well, Neil O'Donnell threw for 282 yards, but I am checking the lo- the uh, box score for this one because big upset. Jags wow. win 20-16. to 16. Okay. I got to see who the fuck was – well, it was obviously Brunel, I'm assuming. Yes, Mark Brunell was quarterbacking, 17 of 30 for a buck 89 and a touch. Uh, who was the running back on this team? Uh, Eric Pegram, no. Little Man Stewart, 19 carries, 44. That wasn't much. I don't know. Yancey Thigpen, six catches for bucks. I don't know how the hell the fucking <laughs> Jags won this game, but they did. Yeah. 20 to 16, they win. All right, let's go to the Metrodome in Minneapolis. The Vikings host the Houston Oilers, Jr. Uh, ooh, I think both teams are on the downswing a little bit here, but I'll take the Vikings at home. Okay. Rocco? Uh, I'll, I'll mix it up. I'll go with the Earlers. All right. Fun game. Warren Moon threw for 289 against his former team. Vikes win in overtime, 23-17. to We go to the vet that dumpster where the Philadelphia Eagles, two teams, uh, Rocco, you and I <laughs> do not like. Correct. The Eagles and the Washington Redacted. Oh. JR. No, I'm sorry. Rocco, go ahead. Ooh, I'll never vote Eagle, so we'll go to Washington. Yes. I'll JR. take Philly. Uh, I could really give a shit about either of these crap. No. Uh, Roddy Pete throws for 256. Ricky Waters, XND guy, throws for rushes for a buck 39. The Eagles win in overtime 37 to 34. Let's go to the big sombrero, Tampa Stadium. I think it, yeah, I don't think they moved to Raymond James for a few years. Uh, the bot. I'm gonna start looking that up now because I don't remember what happened in the '90s mm-hmm. when when teams left old buildings for new buildings. The Bucks hosting the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, who are we up to? Jr. Oh God, um, a lot of shit games this week. I guess I'll take the Bengals again. I don't think either team are that good at this point. Yeah. But. Okay, Rocco. Yeah, it's kind of a crapshoot. I'll go not the Bengals. This is the uh, Sam Weish Bowl. I don't mm-hmm. think he was coaching. Well, he definitely was coaching the Bengals, and I don't think he was already fired from Tampa by this point. Uh, Jeff Blake, Steve Bennett's guy, throws for 210, but the Bengals lose. Bucks win 19-16. Uh, we will go now to the Silverdome in Pontiac. 
The Lions host the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Rocco. Uh, Lions. Jared. I'll take the Lions as well. Yes, Scott Mitchell throws for 273. Barry rushes for a buck 57. Lions win 38 to 20. Suck it, Belichick. Let's let's go to Joe Robbie Stadium. I think that's what it was called still at that point. Uh, in Miami, uh, the Dolphins host the Indianapolis Colts, JR. Uh, I will take – I know the Colts make – surprisingly make the AFC title game this year, but I remember it being like a big – bit of an upset like they kind of sneak in and then make a run so i don't think they're dominant right then so i'm gonna go miami in this game okay rocco uh i was gonna agree with justin all right do you remember who the quarterback of the colts was jim harbaugh jim harbaugh he threw for 319 colts win in overtime mm, all right 27 to 24 to the meadowlands mr martone the new york football giants host the Arizona Cardinals. Jesus. Oh, I seem to remember those. What a shit show. God, these games are fucking awful. <laughs> I'm going to – I'll go with my guys. I'll go with Rodney Hampton. Maybe he had a great day. All right. JR? Yeah, both teams were trash, uh, but I'll go with the Giants at home. I'm going to hit the uh, box score for this one. Uh, at the Meadowlands, uh, the Giants 2-4. and four. Well, they were both 1-4, and four, actually. So, tell that. Dan Reeves Giants coaching. Buddy Ryan's coaches the damn Cardinals. Nobody likes him. Giants win in overtime, 27-21. to 21. Uh, Dave Craig threw for 305 yards for the – he was still in the league. Uh, 305 yards for the Cardinals. Dave Brown, 14-23 of 23 for 166 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. Rodney Hampton was not the leading rusher that day, Mr. Martone. Oh. Tyrone Wheatley. Mm. Oh. 18 carries, 61 yards. Herschel Walker. Playing for the Giants, two carries for 42 yards. Was he like just a kick returner at that point? Pretty much, probably. Um, but yeah, this is a this is a hot mess right here. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, the Giants do get the win, uh, 27 to 24. A lot of overtimes this week. Oh, one, yeah, because they're all shitty teams playing each other. Herschel Walker's, Walker's life is a hot mess right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, let us go now to uh, Alameda County Coliseum in Oakland. For the Raiders and the Seattle Seahawks, Jr. I will take uh, Oakland at home. All right, uh, Didn't Jeff Hostel get like murdered this year? Um, I'll go with the Seahawks. Well, not quite. Your boy Hostetler, three hundred and thirty-three oh. yards passing. Jeez. Raiders win thirty-four fourteen. Didn't he get like killed like halfway through the season or something like that? Like he didn't take it. No, whatever. Uh, I thought he got like. I remember seeing. I think who did they end up drafting a quarterback eventually? Mid nineties, I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember. I'm sure they get well. They get Rich Gannon event. Well, that's not until the 2000s. But anyway, uh, we go to well, so, Marcus uh, Russell's in here at some point, right? When's that? Uh, oh no, that's not till what 2000. Well, let's see. No, I thought it was uh Gannon. Well, Gannon gets there eventually because he wins the MVP in 2002, and then he. Then he plays like shit. Yeah, all right. Russell's 07. Why do you think he was earlier? Yeah. No, I don't. They had Hosteller for a while, and then they went to like Marinovich. Oh, Marinovich. Well, the Marinovich was a backup, I think, right now at this point because the Cowboys beat him a couple years earlier. Anyway, we go to Foxborough Stadium for the Patriots and the Denver Broncos, JR. Uh, I will take Denver. Rocco? Yeah, going against the Patriots on this one. Uh, Hope. <laughs> 
wishing many people, except for maybe Ryan Gray and a few others, wishing this was like this all the time. Elway throws for 287. Broncos win big, 37-3. And finally, Monday night at Arrowhead. Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City. The Chiefs host the San Diego Chargers, JR. Uh, Rocco's turn. Oh, Rocco, I'm sorry. Oh, this one's from Marcus the Carcass, and uh, we got to go with the Chiefs. All right, JR? Yeah, I'll go with the Chiefs. The, let's see, one, two, this has to be an NFL record. Three, fifth overtime game of the week. Steve Bono threw for 329. Chiefs win in overtime, 29 to 23. Five overtime games, and all of them, oh no, three of the five ended with a touchdown. Eagles won in a field goal, and the Colts won in a field goal. But the Vikings, Giants, and Chiefs all won with a touchdown in overtime on this week six of the 1995 okay. uh, nice. NFL season. Take and the that- lead over the challengers as I defeat Rocco 10, seven. So it's now 23, 21 on the season. So good show in the Rocco. Yeah, very good. Thanks. Rocco. I always remember when Montana and Steve Young were on the, the, the San Francisco mm-hmm. and Steve Bono was number three. And then I was yes. like, very excited when he became like a big, dude. When, the, when the, when the, when the 49ers were off, you knew that this was a week of a lot of <laughs> shitty fucking matchups when the defending world champions were to have their bye. So, the, uh, uh, the Raiders would end up with Jeff George for a few years here in the late 90s. That was a quarterback. Yeah. Uh, they also have Billy Joe Hobart in there. Oh. But um, George was looks like he carried through those couple of years. Um, and then Gannon comes in uh, 99. So George Bridges between Hostetler and Gannon. Yes. And uh, realizing that I did not do this on our last episode. So for those that were looking forward to it that uh, uh, two weeks ago, uh, well, let's see. Um, actually, we will do it because uh, the date that we did it was the season premiere. So we will do two episodes tonight. It is season six of Beverly Hills 90210. The gang is in their junior year at Cal U, JR. Mm-hmm. So we'll do the first episode. We'll do a little bit retro. We'll go to the date from the previous episode. So this was the season premiere, which debuted on September 13th, 1995. So this will go back from the show episode two weeks ago. Kelly returns to Beverly Hills from modeling stint in New York. She brings home an artist boyfriend named Colin, who I fucking hated, mm-hmm. who rents a loft in Los Angeles. He's a dick. Brandon comes home for a summer job at the Boston Herald to discover that Val's obnoxious and equally devious friend, Ginger, Elisa Donovan, I loved her, is staying at the house. Val and Brandon agree that they should not get involved. Remember, they were making out at the end of season five. Um, so Ginger comes on to him. Steve, Brandon, and David consider renting a penthouse apartment together. David reveals that he and Claire have broken up. The real estate agent tells Brandon that the buyers plan to tear his house down. Mm-hmm. So the gang throws a party and trashes the place. She then informs Brandon that the house has fallen out of escrow, meaning that his parents still own it. So the group joins forces to clean up the mess and make the place livable. Donna enjoys her summer with Ray, who has made an effort to make up for his past mistakes. A woman's valuable ring disappears during a party on the Martin's boat, and Felice believes that Ray stole it. She's such a bitch. Meanwhile, Dylan tells Kelly about his obsession with tracking down his father's killer since it has been over two years since Jack McKay was murdered, and no one has yet been arrested or charged with the crime. Plus, the FBI have been refusing to talk to Dylan about the case. When Dylan and Kelly go to the late Jack McKay's storage locker, they find it broken into and ransacked. Unsure if the FBI or the local mob broke in to prevent him from finding out any clues to Jack McKay's killing. Dylan is more determined to find any information. Kelly helps him sort through Jack's belongings, but does not approve and wants Dylan to stop and must move on with his life. 
Dylan says no. Later, Dylan visits his father's former cellmate at the state prison and finally learns the identity of Jack's murderer, a mob-connected businessman named... Tony Marchette. Tony Marchette. More on that throughout season six. All right, so that was the one from the past episode, September 13th. Let us now go to uh, October 4th, 1995. Episode five, Lover's Leap. Valerie is haunted by nightmares about her father's suicide. David learns that his mother requires electroshock therapy. Oh, this is an uplifting episode. To prove her chances of recovery from her chronic depression. He does not want her to undergo this course of action and falls into a deep funk. Valerie tells him about her father and offers to help him. She takes David to a cliff overlooking the city and tests his will to live. David convinces his mother to undergo treatment and Valerie overcomes her nightmares. Meanwhile, Tony, which is of course Tony Marchette, mm-hmm. Dylan's girlfriend, throws a dinner party for Dylan and his friends while her father is out of town. Tony's bodyguard, Bruno, catches Dylan snooping around in Marchette's study. He tells Dylan that he knows Dylan is Jack's son, but makes it clear he's not going to tell his boss that. Steve and Claire decide to attend the party together, and they share a goodnight kiss. And Brandon convinces Susan to go out with him. Susan is, of course, uh, his boss mm-hmm. at the school paper, right? She was the editor? Yep. yep. She was the editor. I was wondering, I forgot if she was editor or if they were, like, both reporters. So, what were your thoughts on Susan, JR? She is all right. <laughs> I don't have much more than that. <laughs> yeah, Brandon. Brandon went through a stretch. I mean, this weird. This is like a weird stretch of like these middle seasons of Brandon having like these faceless girlfriends. Um, I, I liked her. She was on Buffy eventually, but there's a very famous scene where she uh, maybe they have sex in the uh, office where she uh, strips down. That I thought was pretty impressive. Was yes, like I do remember that. Yeah, I I feel like she's someone that probably deserved um, maybe like a little Karen on the office where probably deserved a better fate, but. Brandon was hopelessly still obsessed with Kelly, even though they're not together. So she kind of never gets a fair shake. Right. So, so that is that episode. So that is it for your pop culture corner. All right. Let's fast forward back to 2009. It is now time for Hell in a From the Prudential Center in Newark, New Jersey, 12,356 in attendance. Debut edition of Hell in a Cell when a Hell in a Cell match is featured. This is New Jersey's eighth pay-per-view tied with Massachusetts and North Carolina to this point. The first ever in Newark. The last show in New Jersey was SummerSlam 07. Prudential Center opened October 25th, 07 with a Bon Jovi concert. The New Jersey Devils, who are the defending cup champions, played their first game there two nights later. A loss to Ottawa. The first college hoops game on November 11th when Seton Hall, or as Maritella will call them, Seton Hall, Seton. took on and defeated <laughs> Monmouth. <laughs> this pay-per-view be Jim Ross's final pay-per-view as a full-time play-by-play announcer. And yet, for some reason, we're just realizing he's washed a few weeks ago. Now. On the 914, Raw Trish Stratus served as a guest host. On 916, Linda McMahon stepped down. As CEO to pursue a seat in Congress representing Connecticut. Vince McMahon would be named the new CEO. 
Oh, all the trickle-down effects. The 919 SmackDown ECW house show was the first in Bangor, Maine in two years. On 921, Cedric the Entertainer was the guest host of Raw. After being honored as WWE's first decade diva back in the summer, Lillian Garcia made her final appearance as a ring announcer for Raw. She would make a few appearances after before returning full-time in 2011. Back on 923, WWE did a week-long tour of Europe, Mexico, and Central America. On 928, Reverend Al Sharpton was the guest host of Raw. Oh. And on 10-2, SmackDown saw the celebration of the 10th anniversary of the show. We had a dark match featuring Matt Hardy and Mike Knox. And then we get a straightforward video package covering all the top matches with a fiery hell feel. Of course, a very heavy rematch-based show. Michael Cole and Jerry the King Waller welcome us in. They set up the night ahead. And then we get Todd Grisham and Jim Ross covering the SmackDown side to set up the video package for our opening match, Scott. And that is a rematch from last month. A very disappointing main event to our last show. And that is CM Punk yet again defending against The Undertaker, this time inside Hell in a Cell. How do we get to this rematch? Well... Uh, on the 918 SmackDown, Josh Matthews did a sit-down interview with referee Scott Armstrong and discussed the finish at Breaking Point, which was absolute trash. And if you haven't heard our last episode, uh, listen to it, you'll know why. And Armstrong said that he was told by someone high in the company to do what he did, which was he said he wasn't proud of, but he did what he had to do to keep his job. Later that night, Teddy Long came out and admitted that there was a plan to keep Taker from becoming champion, and he implicated Armstrong and Punk in the plot as he said he was sorry for what he did, though did it to keep his job. He would then head to the back and get in his limo to leave, but Taker was revealed to be in the driver's seat. Where to, Teddy? No, he didn't do that. And told Long to buckle up as the limo filled with smoke before driving away. Later in the night, Punk came out and said he was going to confront Taker, but Taker wasn't there, and he would call himself a prophet and a champion that the fans can be proud of. On the 925 SmackDown, Punk bragged about his accomplishments, including making Taker tap at breaking point, as he wanted to know who his next challenger would be. The lights would go out. Several druids would bring a casket to ringside. Punk opened the casket to find Long bound and gagged in it. And after he helped him out, Long informed him that Hell's Gate was no longer that the Hell's Gate was no longer banned, and Punk would face Taker in a Hell in a Cell match at the pay-per-view, as well as facing Taker that night. In the main event, Punk would defeat Taker by countout as he grabbed the belt and just ran off. And on the 10-2 SmackDown, Taker cut a promo on the pay-per-view. And in the main event, Taker teamed with John Cena and DX in a mega eight-man tag there to beat Punk and Legacy when uh, Taker pinned Randy Orton. Hmm. I didn't realize he did that. That was a cross, a rare cross-promotion. Well, for 09, Was I that guess. for the 10th anniversary one? Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's the 10th anniversary. That makes sense. Yeah. All right, surprising opener. Undertaker gets another crack at the title after Punk uh, and Teddy Long screwed him last month. Punk slowly walks out, staring at the cell, followed by usual Long Taker entrance. Punk tries to slug on Taker, sticks and moves, but Taker uses the cell. Taker pummels Punk from there, kicking and punching as Grisham runs down Taker's past wars inside the cell. Punk turns the tide by going to the knee, gets right to work. The crowd's pretty split here, loud as Punk works the knee and eventually barrels into him with a tope. Taker rallies back with a flurry of strikes, gets two on a leg drop. Punk gets two on a chair shot. Taker keeps bringing the fight, shaking off a running knee with a last ride for a near fall. Punk counters old school, yanks Taker down for a near fall. Punk eats a boot into a chair. Taker mashes him with a choke slam and hits the tombstone to win the championship. And this is the first ever title change inside a Hell in a Cell, which is kind of crazy. Better than the last month for sure. The crowd was digging it. They kept it tight. Not the craziest Hell in a Cell, but stiff in spots. But Punk basically got washed twice by Taker. Uh, ending what could have been a big rain for him. Instead, he'll shift elsewhere 
the gimmick that came with this is, you know, we'll probably keep him at the top. So I think it's okay. Um, but again, Punk did not look strong at all in this feud. Uh, Taker reigns supreme again and a big start to the night. Scott went three stars. Uh, this match was obviously better than uh, the first one. Oh, God. Uh, just because it wasn't like total crap. Um, I do feel bad about Taker, uh, you know, about Punk losing in that aspect. Uh, I gave it three stars, though. I thought it was a good match. I thought it was much better than uh, Breaking Point. We just had a regular straight-up match. Um, Taker was long overdue for a world title. Uh, it had been seven years, if I do my math correctly, seven years since winning a world title uh, when he won the, uh, what was it, Judgment Day 02, um, and he held it for a couple months. So Taker is on top of SmackDown, which makes sense, I suppose. I hate seeing Punk get not jobbed out, but at least unlike 08 when he, you know, didn't even get to wrestle in the scramble. At least he was, he had matches with Jeff. He had matches with Taker. So at least Punk was out there, unlike 08 when he pretty much just got kicked to the curb um, and got his belt pretty much taken away from him, which was pretty shitty. But um, I, uh, I I was at least happy that he actually got to wrestle. It's a bummer that the, 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 you know, the title changed and, and he kind of got jobbed out, but I think ta- I think right now, and I mentioned this about the roster on the last episode, Jr. That I feel like it, SmackDown needs a little stability at the moment. So just like Raw's got stability at the top to kind of restructure and, and kind of give the the, the mid card some kind of um, well stability. I don't want to use another. I want to try to use another word, but um, but I thought the match is good overall, Rocco. Um, first of all, your thoughts on the match, and secondly. Um, when was the first time you went to the Rock? Uh, I've only is... been there for I've only been there for De- I've only been there for Devils games, and it's awesome. I actually got to be in a suite, uh, or like the the Fire and Ice Clubs. That's what I was in. Um, I think it's an awesome building. I love it there. Uh, yeah, this was my first time there. I went to the oh, show. Yep, of course. Yep. Yeah, uh, yeah, it is a beautiful building. It was probably one of the newer buildings. I mean, having gone to the Brendan Byrne and the Continental for years, yeah, uh, which have you know places in my heart this one yeah it's charm of course it did yeah. absolutely and uh, i know this area pretty well there's uh it's down neck which has a lot of great portuguese restaurants and uh i used to play a lot of shows down there when i was younger um but this is kind of like punk country because like uh the rex place is in elizabeth new jersey and that's where that's what that was roh's like yeah. new jersey spot for years yeah. like i mean punk joe was there uh raven dog collar match was there so this was definitely you could hear the chance for punk here which i don't think you would have gotten many other places in the country at the time because character was so angry um i don't know if backstage stuff that i kind of know like this is the infamous thing where like punk was not dressing appropriately behind the scenes i don't know you ever remember this rumor yes yep yep i mean that's kind of what this is i've heard over the years that this is the reason for it which is just insane if that's mm-hmm. really true that you would kill this guy's fucking what could be the best new fucking heel you've had in a long time just because of that you know it'd be like if fucking brian cranston ate too much shrimp on breaking bad and vince gilligan's like nah. <laughs> We're going to change the story because he's a fucking dick behind the scenes. Like, I don't know. But I thought Punk fucking ruled in this match, man. Taker was not very mobile, and Punk was really working his fucking ass off. He was throwing himself into the cage. That suicide dive was sick, and the the way he kicked the stairs and the Taker's leg was awesome. And I don't know. I thought Punk really was the uh, was just going for broken this match and really fucking killed it. So I liked it a lot, man. Hmm. All right, we got another title match up next. The Intercontinental titles on the line is John Morrison takes on Dolph Ziggler. And Scott, how did Dolph find his way into this title match? 
Uh, on the 827 Superstars, Ziegler defeated Finley and Mike Knox in a triple threat number one contenders match to earn an IC title shot at breaking point. And he would cut a promo saying he would prove Rey Mysterio's win at SummerSlam was a fluke. Uh, but on the 9-4 SmackDown, Morrison defeated Rey Mysterio to win the uh, Intercontinental titles. That was kind of crazy. On the 9-11 SmackDown, Morrison cut a promo thanking Mysterio for the title match, and he could get his rematch anytime he wanted. And Ziggler interrupted, saying that he earned his title match. While Morrison didn't, though, he would walk away from Morrison's challenge, as Morrison referred to him as Mr. Ziggles. <laughs> on the 9 <laughs> Terrible. I remember that. Oh, yeah. On the 917 Superstars was announced Ziggler would challenge Morrison at the pay-per-view. The next night on SmackDown, Morrison defeated Knox in a non-title match while Ziggler did commentary. Morrison would continue to mock Ziggler, who walked away. And on the 925 SmackDown, Morrison and Finley defeated Ziggler and Knox in a tag match. And then on the 10-2 SmackDown, Ziggler and The Miz defeated Morrison and Kofi Kingston in a tag when Ziggler pinned Morrison. So, of course, Miz and Morrison broken up, and Morrison's now a babyface. Mm-hmm. Well, Jomo heads to the ring, growing by the week into this role as IC champion. Mr. Ziggles heads out next, ramped up feud from Breaking Point, and we get clips from SmackDown of Dolph beating the champ at a tag match. We get a map-based start with Morrison working the arm. Dolph tries to slip free in reverse. Dolph takes Morrison down, cranks on the head as we continue to ease in. Morrison cuts off a charge with a drop kick for two. He goes to a chin lock, but Dolph twists free. Now he goes to the chin lock and works the head a bit. Morrison gets a quick comeback, but whiffs on Starship Pain, and Dolph goes back to work. Dolph gets a nice drop kick, and then another chin lock, and the two on a scoop power slam. Dolph works the head and neck, mixes in some pin covers and cool amateur takedowns. Morrison gets a swinging DDT to start a comeback, followed by a flurry of strikes and a standing shooting star press for two. Dolph roars back and tries to keep going for covers to wear down Morrison. Morrison comes off the top, but blocks a drop kick with a slingshot for two. They keep going back and forth, but neither guy can finish. Morrison goes up top for Starship Pain, but Dolph counters the nice reverse slam for two. Morrison hits a nasty running kick and finishes with Starship Pain. This was mostly disappointing, honestly. Uh, it was kind of a slow pace and methodical. All the commentaries focused about their speed and athleticism, but we didn't see it. The crowd struggled, too, just never ramped up and cooked like you know they could. The stuff they hit was crisp and effective, but all the chin locks didn't help. It picked up down the stretch with the near falls and desperation to the finish. Morrison reigns. Dolph comes up short again for the IC title. Uh, ended up good, but I think should have been more, Rocco. Three and a quarter. Uh, so, again, solid, but I was really hoping for this to really pop. I have uh, much less opinion of this than you. I mean, the fact that it's like, what? I felt like 20 minutes. It felt like mm-hmm. a very long match to go longer than the Taker Punk match, which is a match that I feel like a lot of people probably thought was going to be the main event, possibly, right. or higher up. Yeah, this is 1541. Crowd... Yeah, that's, that's, so that's what? Third longest <laughs> match on the show, too. Yeah. So, but like, I remember being in the crowd, and there definitely seemed to be a very, like, you know, this match coming after that kind of quick match that just really should have been a big deal that wasn't i feel like yeah like the the pace they they cut was uh just a little laconic right a little it's evident of like the meandering mid card that they just have in this era right where the guys just kind of stay there and just fight each other all the time especially Dolph ziggler and uh the thing with morrison is always like he doesn't need to do all the stuff before he tries to connect mm-hmm. with you he's always adding so much crap just kick someone like it's always takes so long and then it's just it's not as spectacular as the, the preamble to it it's like the indiana jones guy with the sword just punch someone so yeah i, I was a little disappointed by this match that i thought was going to be a lot cooler based on the guy's athleticism in the match uh i like that uh that's that's good thinking rocco I, I i kind of agree with you i gave it three and a half i liked it but yeah i mean 
my my thing with it's funny you bring that up about Dolph because I've always said that I used to always say that about Jeff Hardy. He got a lot better as he got older, but I always felt Jeff Hardy didn't know what to do in between his big moves. And Dolph was the same way. Dolph would just get very um clumsy trying to get to the big spot instead of just getting to the big spot. And I agree with you on that. Uh Morrison is in a good groove now in ring. Uh I thought the match was fun. Um, I think Dolph is trying to find himself. The Mr. Ziggles thing didn't help. I remember everybody ripped the shit out of his name for a good year, year and a half. Like, what the fuck is Dolph Ziggler? Like, who the fuck came up with that name? I remember that coming up a lot back then. But having said that, I thought the match was fun. And uh, I think Morrison's a, a good, stable champion. Um, you know, he's former ECW champion, too, so... Uh, but a good match overall could have gone to the, to another gear, but I was okay with it. All right. Josh Matthews is going to talk to Batista Ray Mysterio, but Batista tells him to leave and him and Ray play a little grab ass as they're ready to win the tag team titles. Brings us to our next match. And, uh, that is Alicia Fox taking on Mickey James for the Divas title. Scott, uh, how do we get to this match? Well, on the 824 Raw, uh, Fox, Beth Phoenix, and Rosa Mendez defeated James, Kelly, Kelly, and Gail Kim in a six-woman tag when uh, Alicia Fox pinned Mickey. Uh, the next, a couple weeks later on 914 on Raw, uh, Alicia Fox defeated Gail Kim to become the number one contender. The following week on 921, Phoenix defeated James in a non-title match thanks to a distraction from Fox. Fox would attack James after the match and taunt her with the title. And then on the 928 Raw, uh, Mickey James defeated Rosa Mendez in a non-title match as it was announced she would defend it against Alicia Bucks at the pay-per-view. All right, Alicia's out to her Nelly knockoff song. King is heated up as always. Mickey's out next. It's been a minute since we've seen the women on pay-per-view. Alicia works the arm a bit to start. Mickey twists free and we reset. Mickey tries to pace up, but Alicia's a step behind. Mickey gets two on a drop kick, hits a nice neck breaker. Mickey gets caught on top and yanked hard to the map. Alicia ambles through some offense and works the ribs with a body scissors as the crowd checks out. Mickey slugs back into it, but Alicia drives her hard to the corner for a Northern Lights bridge for two. Mickey recovers, sticks Alicia with a DDT, and retains her belt. This is good. Uh, not good, but fine enough. Mickey tried, but Alicia's just not there yet. It's not really fair to stick her in the spot. It was at least quick, and the crowd was just not into it. The difference in speeds between the two is pretty clear. Mickey rolls on. The finish was fine. Scott, two stars. Yeah, I mean, it was obvious who the better wrestler is. That's that's definitely for sure. Um, Alicia Fox has a lot still to learn. I mean, I gave it two stars. It wasn't, it wasn't you know offensive or anything. It was, it was you know it was a title offense for Mickey. Put her over. Put the title over. Alicia Fox was fine. I mean, there's not much more to say. Rocco's, you know, pedestrian, but you know, makes Mickey look good. And Alicia Fox got a title match, but for the most part, there wasn't much more to go with. Yeah, I mean, Alicia has such a unique shape. She, her legs are so long. Like, she could do really cool stuff, I think, but it's just what, like, her doing the leg scissors with some cool cross faces, I thought looked really good. That definitely seemed like a fit generally special who, like, you know, was backstage doing all that stuff at the time. But yeah, like you're saying, like, she's just, you know, you, you got a super experienced person getting, like, a super inexperienced person through a match. And it's not her fault. It's the fault that she get, you know, a lot of the chicks don't get any reps on the shows, right? So without reps, how do you get better? So yeah, I enjoyed it for what it was, and it was what it was. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> All right. 
Uh, our next match is for the tag team titles, and that is Batista and Rey Mysterio challenging Chris Jericho and the Big Show. Scott, how did this uh, super team of Batista and Rey Mysterio find their way to a tag title match? Mm. Well, uh, JR and Rocco, on the 914 Raw, Batista came out to make a big announcement, only for Randy Orton to interrupt and gloat about Batista retiring because of him. But Batista revealed he was no longer injured and announced he was going to SmackDown, though he would face and defeat Orton later that night on his last match on Raw. On the 918 SmackDown, Batista came out and said he was glad to be back on the A show when Jericho interrupted and called Batista injury-prone like Edge, and he would claim to be the face of SmackDown until Batista gave him the spinebuster. Later, Jericho would confront Show about why he didn't help him earlier and said he would face and defeat Batista alone like he did last year. And in the main event, Batista would defeat Jericho clean as Show challenged Batista to a match the next week. On the 925 SmackDown, Batista defeated Show by DQ and Jericho got involved only for Batista to fight them off. Later that night, he challenged Jericho Show to a tag title match as he teased his partner was a former world champion and his numbers were 6 one on the 10-2 SmackDown, of course, it was revealed that Batista's partner would be Rey Mysterio. And during the SmackDown party, uh, the 10th anniversary party, Jarrah Show demanded to be the guests of honor as they were on the very first SmackDown, only for Michael Cole, who had been drinking too much prior to that, to puke on Jericho. <laughs> pretty funny. All right, pretty fun tag on tap. Our dominant champions saunter out. Big pop for Batista. Nice to see him doing something other than world title shots. Uh, he is unbeaten since returning from injury, and his old friend Ray running back their team from a few years ago. JR talks about Batista and Ray dedicated this match to Eddie Guerrero. Ray and Jericho start off revisiting their epic rivalry. Jericho tries to bully Ray. Ray speeds up, sticks and moves, tags Batista, who smashes Jericho around to uh, kind of a mix of booze, honestly. Ray and Batista work some tags, continue to pepper away at Jericho, who escapes and tags show. Batista offers a tag, but Ray wants to smoke, and the crowd revs up as Show laughs. Ray tries to kick away, but Show grabs him and throws him down. Show crushes Ray with a chop to the chest, and he falls to the floor. Show deadlifts Ray back inside, slings him to the corner, and the champs get to work with their dismissive bullying control offense, trying to gray Ray ground Ray down. Ray uh, comes back with an enziguri. Jericho cracks him to block the 619, tries to rip off the mask, but Ray knocks him down and gets a seated senton off the top and makes a tag. Batista comes in hot, cuts through Jericho, hammering him, throws him around the ring, slings Jericho into Big Show and knocks him to the floor. Then he gets a good near fall on a spine buster. Show hooks Batista's leg, allowing Jericho to a code breaker for two. Show comes in but whiffs on a leg drop. The two big dogs start to duke it out. Show cranks a choke slam, but Ray makes a save. Batista dodges a lion salt, tags Ray, who flies around, tries to senton, but Show catches him, chucks and chucks him, but Ray lands on his feet and hits a swinging DDT for two. Show tumbles outside as Ray ducks a charge. Ray follows a 619. Ray flips Jericho over the top and Show catches him. But Batista spears Big Show and they crumble back in a great flurry of offense. Show gets back inside. Ray hits a missile drop kick at a 619. Tries to springboard Senton, but Show slugs him down and Jericho retains. Uh, really awesome tag match here. Fantastic chemistry. Nonstop action. A good story in there with Ray going out of it. Show. Crowd is digging it too. And Jericho are dominant, presented as such, but also. Constantly feel like they could lose at any moment. So it's a nice blend, Rocco. I actually went three and three-quarter stars on this. I liked it a lot. Yeah, and they definitely – this match definitely had that second gear that the Morrison-Ziggler match I think I wanted to happen where, like, once the Batista hot tag happens, like, holy shit, this match gets fucking crazy. Mm -hmm. um, the Big Show-Ray stuff was really cool, I thought, when he palms his head and brings him into the ring. I thought that was really fucking mm -hmm. wild. And uh, all this stuff together was just great. I think Ray and Jericho has to be one of the, like – 
in ring, like just their whole body of work in the WWF might be one of the best feuds they've ever had. You know what I mean? Like is there's so much good that those guys do together. Uh, that spear on the outside was the loudest part of the night live. I remember, I remember that sounded crazy. Like the, you know, when you go to a wrestling show and there's a random yep. move that sounds fucking wild. That mm. was it. I still remember it today. When I think of the show, I think of that spear and I remember the crowd going nuts and uh, the finish out of nowhere, like didn't expect it. Raid set it up perfectly and just gets fucking clobbered, man. I loved it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely a super fun tag. <clears throat> uh, I agree. I gave this four stars. It was a lot of fun. I mean, you have four guys that, that know what to do. Uh, they got it down and, and did that. And, and this is where Jr. I, not take back what I said, but when we were talking on the last episode about, you know, we're, we're not in love with two singles guys that, that get put together as a tag team. This was not like one of those, like, you know, feuds where two guys win the tag titles kind of to bridge the gap between one match right. to the other. These guys, they're acting like great mm-hmm. heels as a team. Um, I said, it's a good spot for the big show and it's a good spot for Jericho right now where everybody else doing everything else. So I, uh, I thought this match was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it a ton. And, but you can see Batista starting to change a little bit and we get more into that as we move ahead, but I enjoyed watching them just battle everybody and Batista gets the hot tag, uh, crowd that night, Rocco was very good. Um, and everybody was fired up. Uh, I enjoyed it. And I, I like, uh, I like Jericho as, as tag team champions. If there's no need to take the belts off them, then don't, they're doing a good job. In the crowd, there was some asshole chanting a uh, super dragon the whole time, like a fucking idiot, because he had seen, the, I guess, a botch of mania at that point. Um, I love the idea of Batista, like you said, Justin, going to a tag, because it doesn't, it, it takes away the fatigue for some of the main event guys, right? Right. That's yeah. why you, like the Cena totally. right now, and the Orton's like, you get so fucking bored of it, that's like so cool. To, like, I think every main eventer should have this a secondary, tertiary mm-hmm. thing he could do that's not going for the main title. Right. I agree with you. Definitely. All right, Cole Lawler reset as the cell lowers for our next match, and we get a video package to set that up. And yet again, it is Randy Orton challenging John Cena for the WWE title uh, inside Hell in a Cell, Scott. Uh, why are we here again with these two? <laughs> Talk about fatigue. Why are we here again? All right. Well, on the 914 Raw, the night after Breaking Point, guest host Tristratus announced Cena and Orton would face off in Hell in a Cell at the pay-per-view with Cena cutting a promo on the match, and later that night, Cena would cost Orton his match against Batista. On the 921 Raw, the two men had the contract signing and went back and forth until Orton brought out Jericho to attack Cena until MVP and Mark Henry made the save, and in the main event, Orton and Jericho defeated Cena, MVP, and Henry in a six-man tag. And as a result, Cena would have to face Orton and Jericho in a gauntlet match the next week. On the 928 Raw, Orton cut a promo on the match at the pay-per-view, and in the main event, Cena defeated Jericho and show by DQ in the gauntlet as he and Orton went to a no contest when the cell lowered and they would fight to the top of the cell where Orton gave C- uh, Cena gives Orton the uh, attitude adjustment, the AA. And on the 10-2 SmackDown, Cena teamed with The Undertaker and DX to defeat Legacy and CM Punk, as mentioned in an eight-man tag. That was, of course, the uh, an- anniversary show. All right. So here we go. Yet again. Orton chasing his gold back. He saunters out. King of the main events for two years. Loud reaction was split for Cena, as always. Cole reminds us it's the fifth time that WWE has been in Hell in a Cell, but has never changed hands. The crowd is buzzing loudly. Orton tries to find a way to start off the start, but Cena chases him down. Orton bails, and uh, baits him, I should say, and gets to work as Cole hypes up the new Jack 3 and 4 cell. 
Cena tries a flash A, turns into a scoop power slam. Orton continues to work the head and the neck, cutting off flurries. Uses the cell first. He grinds away, but Cena overpowers and starts to ram Orton into the steel. Orton uses the steps to turn things around. He's back in control. Orton has a hard time tossing the steps in the ring, but gets there and methodically sets himself up. Orton drags Cena to the ropes, tries a hanging DDT on the steps, but Cena counters, dumps Randy to the floor. Orton dodges Cena, throwing the stairs at him, and takes back over in the ring. Cena quickly rallies, goes to his closing offense to loud boos. Orton survives and snaps off a hanging DDT. Cena counters an RKO and hits the AA for a great near fall that everyone bit on. Cena tries an AA over the top rope, but Orton hangs on, gets an electric chair for two. Orton gets a chair, jams it to the back of Cena's neck and his gut. Looks like it hurt. Orton tries to smash Cena's head with a chair, but Cena dodges and twists him into the STF. Cena relaxes, uh, releases. The ref gets bumped down. Cena goes back to the STF. Orton taps, but there's no ref. Cena checks on the ref, but it turns into an RKO for good near fall. Orton twists Cena to the ropes and then violently chokes him. Kind of sick looking. Cena seems out of it. and The ref breaks him free. He flops down. Orton stares at Cena, punts him in the head, and regains his title with a clean win. Uh, I like this quite a bit. It was a little slow, but that's their style in this feud. Empty the chamber early with standard and then go into a methodical match of violence trying to kill each other. Orton wins clean again with a pretty nasty finish, a kill shot, and a good match. These guys are even. The story's been good, not as drawn out as usual, but I'm ready to move on. They, they've had this, this trio of matches. They've been up and down, but we close on a good note. Orton's champ against Scott. I went three and three quarters. Uh. When we talked about fatigue, and we, we talked about this uh, last week, uh, two weeks ago in the last episode, during that match, um, I had said that uh, um, I had said that fatigue, I think, only comes up when you have um, uh, two guys who just aren't putting on good matches, and the match is getting progressively worse. Um that is not the case here. Uh, I'm looking at the, our our, our uh, document. I must I must have. I think I mistyped that. I have I put one and a half stars. That's not true. It's supposed to be three and a half stars. I gave it three and a half stars. I I like watching them wrestle. I'm sorry, I do. I know a lot of people get burned out. Uh, yes, three straight three straight months. Yeah, we're probably good. But the matches didn't get progressively worse. I feel like they were very level. This is how they work. You know. It's they're not aggressive in that aspect. You know, they have the big rivalry. They're the two guys since 2002. They don't wrestle like a a, a, a frenetic pace. That's just not what they do. They don't wrestle like that. And that's not how Orton is. Orton's very methodical with the way he looks and the way he moves around. And that that's just the way that's just what he does. And. I don't think it takes away from the feud at all. Um, having said that, there's only so many months that you could put these two together. And sadly, or unfortunately, we're not done. But I thought the match was fine. Uh, Hell in a Cell is one of my favorite. Um, is one of my favorite uh, gimmicks of all time. It's probably my favorite gimmick match of all time. I was very skeptical when they made it an entire pay-per-view. In this specific instance, this year's show um that's not the problem because all three matches were you know big feud matches 
it's when we get later on that they start sticking guys and, and gals eventually, but mostly guys in the beginning in the matches. And there's no, it just has no nothing. It's just a match in a cell. So I was fine with that in, in terms of the way the show was set up, but I, I, I could watch Orton and Cena all the time. I really can. I just love the way Orton moves around. Um, it's just the way he is. They're not supposed to wrestle a frenetic pace, Rocco, but I was fine with it. Again, yes, maybe three straight months is good enough. But overall, I didn't. I was not bored by the match. I could have been happy with a little violence because that's how cell matches are. But we're in that era where that's not the case. But I was okay with it. I thought it was a fun match. I'm fine. Orton won again. He deserves to keep the the, the title uh, to get the title back because he's been a great champion. So overall, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, with the fatigue, it's not necessarily the pace of the match because, like, the intentionality of all of Orton's moves is is big. Like, everything he does, like you're saying, is important. And him doing, like you said, I think, Justin, you mentioned the chair, and the crowd really was reacting. I think it's probably because Cena is so over and Orton's so good. But it's – I remember watching the television because I had a friend, the guy I went to the show with, who had just gotten back into wrestling. So I was watching Mondays with him and SmackDowns. And it was the daily wrestling – you guys are just watching the pay-per-views, you know, watching the Raws and SmackDowns and the storytelling at the time was not great mm-hmm. on those shows. And that was where I was always feeling the fatigue of the traditional 20 minute Cena promo, Orton's promo. So like watching these matches, it's great. But I do remember at the time being very, that's where the, the added hours of fatigue come from, you know, watching all that stuff and having remembering. And I remember just being like, this is enough. But then you watch the match. It's like in this vacuum, it's fucking awesome to watch. Right. So that's what I remember mostly. Um, in the match, like you're saying, there's some really cool shit, like we are saying about Orton and his moves. Uh, his power slam is so cool. Uh, he's doing it more like a Buzz Sawyer power slam here. Where he's got a lot of power behind it. And uh, just, yeah, I mean, the, the way they are fighting is such a, it's it's perfect for what they do. I, I don't think it's just, it's just not my favorite thing mm-hmm. that they do together. It just, I just didn't love this match too much. And maybe again, it's like the fatigue of watching some of the earlier stuff. But uh, it's not a bad match in any way. I did think his punt was a little weak at the end, and it's like kind of a bummer because that's such a supposed to be the end thing. And he's really fucking clobbered dudes with that. And I guess maybe I'm being sadistic and hoping he was kicking people a little harder. But yeah, I mean, Orton is so over as a bad guy, and Seton is so over as a good guy that everything they do in the match is perfect. And this is height of Orton as Danny DeVito. Um, I want to be pure, always sunny version yeah. where he's just completely hairless so always it's straight and, and cena's worst gear like do you think all right this is a weird thought do you think cena's moves are so loose and basic so kids replicating them won't kill their little brothers it's possible right like he's not he doesn't do anything that's really all that violent even like the things he does are kind of loose so i don't know i just had that thought watching the match but yeah um i could see it it was a cool spot for it like you said, Scott, this is not the time of blood, but a little blood ski would have been real cool in this match. Yeah. It might be that his arms are too big to connect. <laughs> to actually wrap around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it might be. Might be. All right. Josh Matthews talks to R-Truth about his recent issues with Drew McIntyre. We get a highlight package between them. Truth says he's done being disrespected and you have to earn respect in the USA. Uh, Scott, how do we get to this match of random match of R-Truth versus Drew McIntyre? Uh, well, let's talk about one half of this match because this guy's making his pay-per-view debut. So Drew Galloway grew up in a wrestling grew up a wrestling fan and began training in England at the age of 15. Of course, he is Scottish. And he would work across the United Kingdom and won numerous titles before signing with WWE 
in 2007. He would spend a brief time in OVW before joining the main roster under the name Drew McIntyre as Dave Taylor's new partner. That wouldn't last long. He'd go down to FCW. He won the tag titles and the Florida Heavyweight Championship. He would make his re-debut in August and makes his pay-per-view debut here. On the 828 SmackDown, these two men were set to face off in a match, only for McIntyre to attack Truth before the match and said the party was over. On the 9-4 SmackDown, Truth was rapping in the ring until McIntyre attacked him again and said he wouldn't be overlooked anymore. The following week on 9-11, Truth cut a promo uh, on McIntyre's recent attacks until McIntyre attacked him again. Uh, on the 918 SmackDown, Truth was set to face Charlie Haas, only for McIntyre to come out and say Truth was hurt so he couldn't compete, and he raised Haas's hand in victory only to attack him again. On the 925 SmackDown, Vince McMahon cut a promo talking about the 10th anniversary of SmackDown coming up before bringing out McIntyre, and he would proclaim that McIntyre was a future world champion and dubbed him the Chosen One. Uh-oh. McIntyre would say that the show would be all about him until Truth came out of the crowd and brawl with McIntyre as this match was made. And on the anniversary show on 10-2, McIntyre crashed the anniversary party and demanded a toast as a future world champion. But Truth would come in and they brawled with the two of them crashing into the cake. Yes, when Vince called him the chosen one, that was indeed the kiss of death. <laughs> well, it's also a tough death slot match here after Cena Orton. But the crowd's been great all night, so we'll see. Truth wraps his way out. Rare spotlight for him. Drew saunters out to some silence. We'll see if he can make this one count on his pay-per-view debut. Drew cranks a headlock to start, but Truth starts to buzz around and land some shots. Truth keeps kicking away, but Drew cuts him down. Gets to work with some clubbing offense at half Nelson as the crowd checks out. Truth comes back with some strikes uh, and gets two on a scissors kick. Drew pops up and tries a DDT, but Truth counters to a roll-up for two. Drew recovers and finishes with a double underhook DDT. This stunk. The crowd was checked out. Uh, they were put out there to die. They didn't take a chance to stand out. This should have just been on TV or just wait till Drew was a little bit more ready or have this early in the show to keep the crowd up. This is a real tough spot to put these guys in. So, Rock, I want to start in a quarter. Just not much doing here. Yeah, I mean, I kind of totally agree. I mean, more like I said about Morrison, Truth actually does, like, connect really well when he does his little, like, extra flares mm -hmm. and flourishes. But in terms of, like, uh, uh, Drew, like, for a guy who's like 6'4", he seemed shorter than truth. You know, it's like the presence is gone. There's no presence to this dude at all in this match. And he didn't even seem – there was no urgency to anything he did. It was just – like you said, it was just fucking boring, man. So, yeah. Uh, also, a double-arm DDT is a kiss of death as a move for guys when they mm. come up. It's like the Kazarni move. Like, don't give it to anyone. But, yeah, just a boring match that the crowd didn't give a shit about. Yeah, uh, I agree. I gave this a one. Um it was rough. Uh, I liked our truth and Drew McIntyre looked like a guy at the time that could be something big, but I think he was just pushed way too fast. And this match just is a drizzler. It's funny about all of the TV time as I, as I recapped it, that this feud got, as you mentioned, uh, Rocco about the storytelling from week to week about Orton and Cena, but the mid card was definitely getting that as well. So it's amazing how they had so much, um, time, to build this match and then the match just doesn't deliver and that's a shame but they tried mcintyre still needs work and truth is truth but uh this match did not the crowd was not into it uh, you're totally right jr anything after this was gonna suck i might maybe i would have flip-flopped these two matches the one we're talking about now in our next match and i think maybe it would have been better but this was not a good slot and it showed it was rough 
All right, we head backstage. Rand Orton's resting, and Legacy comes in to hype up the, his win. They say after beating DX, they get all hit the town and celebrate. Orton laughs at their plan to celebrate. Says this is hell in a cell. Whether you win or lose, you don't just walk away. DiBiase says they know what they're getting into. They studied and practiced for an hour, and they have every right to be confident. Rhodes says Orton is starting to sound like his dad. Orton likes them, but says uh, being cocky, but says they have no idea what they're getting into. Orton isn't Cody's dad. He is WWE champion. They should listen when he talks. And Ted says not to underestimate them. So pretty good uh, Sage Orton, DiBiase, Young Gun shoving it back on him. It's kind of been the storyline for a while now with the young guys starting to rebel a bit on Orton. All right, we got one more match before our main event. There's a U.S. title on the line as The Miz takes on Kofi Kingston and Jack Swagger. How did we get to this U.S. title match? Well, on the 914 Raw, Swagger and Miz defeated Kingston and Primo in a tag when Swagger pinned Kingston, while Miz took the U.S. title and left ringside with it. On the 921 Raw, Miz cut a promo making fun of Kingston until Kofi attacked him from behind and got his belt back. And later that night, Kingston and Swagger went to a no contest when Miz again tried to steal the title, only for Swagger to attack him in the aisle and take it for himself, as it was announced the three men would face off in a triple threat at the pay-per-view. And on the 928 Raw, Swagger defeated Evan Bourne, and cut a promo vowing to become champion at the pay-per-view, and Miz interrupted and said he would take the title himself as the two men brawled, and Kingston would come out and take his belt back. All right. So. Miz uh, talks up winning the U.S. title tonight. As he comes out, he shits on Newark as well. Swagger's out next, continuing his rise up the card, followed by a good pop for Kofi. Good chance for these guys to shine a little bit. Cole talks about Big Ben Roethlisberger hosting Raw tomorrow as all three start fast with strikes. Kofi tries to pick up our both guys while not getting swarmed. <clears throat> they eventually cut Kofi down with elbows and work together. Swagger and Miz beat on him until Miz finally turns on Swagger with a kick and a hard clothesline. You can see his confidence and presence coming. His look, too, is he has real tights on now instead of the jeans. Uh, jean shorts. Miz gets two on a neckbreaker on Kofi as he keeps kicking at both guys. Miz puts Kofi on top, but Swagger sneaks in and hoists Miz on his shoulders. Kofi hits him with a high cross body for two. Swagger shoves Kofi into Miz and gets a belly-to-belly for two. All three go through a flurry of quick strike near falls. Miz blocks a powerbomb. Kofi flies in with a great kick to Swagger. Miz gets two on Kofi on the skull-crushing finale as we roll along. Swagger nearly kills Kofi with a clothesline. Gets a gut-rich powerbomb on Miz, but Kofi hits Swagger with the trouble in paradise and covers Miz to retain his title. This is fine. They had a good pace. They just traded off control. Probably would have been better again earlier in the night, uh, but they did did their okay to hold the crowd. Kind of woke them back up. Uh, upper mid card has this nice blend of new guys, but they need to start seeing some real elevation uh, as well. So I thought Kofi looked great. Miz is growing. Swagger's been fine. Two and a half, Scott. This is pretty much down the middle for me. Uh, yeah, I mean, I again, I I enjoy uh, this mid card. It's slowly, it's just getting better and better with every pay-per-view it's galvanizing um i gave this match two and a half i mean it was fine it was nothing offensive um like i said i love kofi as u.s champion he's solid he's um bringing matches every time he's in the ring miz is slowly getting there swagger's in a weird spot right now um after the ecw title feud um not sure where he's gonna go from this point forward i feel like they just threw him in this match to get him on the show I felt like the feud was more about uh, Kofi and Miz, although they were together at the last show. It was fine. Um, but I think Kofi is doing a great job of 
kind of where Orton is, is world champion. I feel Kofi there is U.S. champion of just kind of keeping things stable. Um, otherwise, Rocco was a fine match. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, really, I really like the ending of it, the way it played into the rules of a triple threat match. And uh, Kofi rearranging uh, Swagger's uh, Tifuses was a pretty wild <laughs> kick that he did there. But uh, Miz, a uh, real fucking uh, cafoni, fucking talking shit about New Jersey. I didn't enjoy that. But <laughs> he's uh, he's still, he's good. He's good at his job. And I, I, the Miz's offense is always so cool because it's not like too showy for what he is. You know, like a double axe handle from the top, like real just simple, basic heel moves. You know, just shows he knows what he's doing. You know, and he's gonna his skill will catch up to his what his character is right eventually and that's when he's going to really take off and you can see the, the the bits and pieces of it there and he's he's like forming it and uh and i think that's really cool like him doing a double axe handle makes more sense than a heel seth rollins doing like 12 topes in one match you know to me so i really like that and but the match was you know it was there it was fine all right we get a video package for our main event which is yet again to generation x Shawn michaels triple h taking on legacy cody rhodes ted dibiase this time inside a cell for the rubber match scott what is our final match in this pay-per-view battle between these two teams? All right. Well, on the 9-14 Raw, night after breaking point, uh, Legacy cut a promo on defeating DX at breaking point and making Michaels tap, and Michaels would defeat DiBiase by DQ as the two teams brawled into the crowd as it was announced they would face off at Hell in a Cell. On the 921 Raw, DX cut a promo on their experience at Hell in a Cell, both of them, of course. Triple H would defeat Rhodes by DQ. <laughs> Legacy would attack DX until Michaels ran them off with a sledgehammer. On the 928 Raw, Legacy cut a promo saying no one expected them to beat DX at breaking point, and they were the favorites after their recent attacks. DX would appear in one of the skyboxes as they insulted Legacy before making their way to the ring, only for Legacy to escape into the crowd. And then, of course, on the 10-2 SmackDown, the anniversary show, we had that big eight-man tag with DX and Cena and Taker against Legacy and Punk. All right, here we go. Main event time. Big spot for Legacy. They get the clean win last pay-per-view. They're going to get, you know, they've got a lot of time in this feud. Big pop for DX as they march out. Legacy jumped them in the aisle. We're off and running. Good strategy. Cole pushes out Legacy. has been a step ahead of DX throughout this, and it's true. DX turns the tide, cuts through Legacy on the floor, wiping out DiBiase. They hit Cody with a monitor, suplex him on the announce table. DiBiase saves. He works over Hunter as Sean chops away on Cody. Cole knows that Legacy is still trying to isolate and eliminate one of the DX members. That's how they won last month, and that's what they did at SummerSlam as well. Hunter and Ted battle through the crowd. Cody gets a chain and slugs Sean in the knee. Cody runs over and hits Triple H with the chain. They hit a double DDT on the ramp, and then we go inside the cell where Cody wrenches Sean's knee across the gate and yanks him into the wall. Cody locks the door with Sean inside, and Hunter's knocked out on the ramp, so the strategy pays off. The bell rings, and here we go. Legacy double teams and beats on Sean with some good double team offense, wrecking the knee trying to knock him out. We edge along through the double-team work. Hunter slowly crawls to the ring and tries to get in. Cody slingshots Sean, but he leaps onto the steel and dives onto Cody until Ted saves and swarms him under again. Sean hobbles back into things, banging Legacy together and wiping out Cody. Hunter starts to climb the cell, but stops when he realizes he has no way in. Sean gets a desperation switch in music on Ted for two, but Cody ends that comeback with a chair shot. Sean crumbles in front of Hunter. Hunter gets a uh, batters the logging chain, as we hear a million times on commentary, with a chair as Ted taunts him. Cody powerbombs Sean into the cell. Ted does the same. Hunter pleads with Sean to hang on as Sean looks half dead. Legacy's talking shit. Hunter walks backstage and Legacy are laughing and taunting Sean 
as they keep beating on him. Hunter comes back with bolt cutters and breaks into the cell as Ted murders Sean with Dream Street on an open chair. Just a gross spot that could have went really bad. Hunter breaks in and cleans house on Legacy. Sean somehow powers up, helps out his Legacy's thrown around. Hunter keeps the door open and uses the logging chain to slug on Ted's pedigrees him on the floor. They leave Ted outside the cell, lock the door, and wreck Cody with a brutal assault. They pilmanize his neck. They crack him with a sledgehammer. They super kick him at the same time, finishing him off. Ted tries to help Cody, but he gets hit with sweet chin music, and DX stands tall. Uh, this is pretty in line with their other stuff, probably a tick below. Legacy looks smart with the plan and the strategy. They execute it, but this time they couldn't finish. The double team assault on Sean went way too long, though. Sean realistically should have succumbed, given how bad he got beaten down. But that led to some drama as well, despite the dragged-out passion of the Sean. They should have done a good job making Legacy seem on... They've done a good job making Legacy seem on par, not just two young jabronis next to the Legends. In the end, it felt like two young supervillains not finishing the job when they had a chance, and they get too cocky, which didn't make it seem like it was just two guys over their heads. It also paid off Orton's warning, which was good. DX puts us to bed with a sweet finish, and we'll see if they capitalize on the Legacy push and do something with them. Rocco in three and a quarter on our main event. Um, I, I really did not like the structure of the whole... Uh, triple h part of this thing like like you're saying it it doesn't make sense for them just to kick his ass for like 20 minutes and just not pin him because it's not a war games match where it, what is their goal like they were like i think right. michael Gold, like what is their purpose to win or just to beat up sean whether well, it's this they could just pin him and then beat the fucking shit out mm-hmm. of him like so that just that, that part just kind of bothered me and like they did not do triple h the cerebral assassin any uh favors in how his character is portrayed because i don't know like a he uses a sledgehammer. He should know like what a fulcrum and a lever is and like know that this chair is not going to get him into this thing. Right. I just thought that was way too long and it seemed like a like a like a Mick Foley idea mm. on paper that playing it out just made it seem like anytime a, a good guy weaves the ring, it never like when Roman Reigns left her in that Royal Rumble, it's like that right. doesn't work. It's right. like, that I don't want to see the good guy not there because it made him seem stupid. And he just left his friend. Like, I don't know you guys that well, but if you guys were getting your ass kicked, I would be a little more uh, 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 proactive in my getting into the ring or, or run to the, he didn't even run to the back. He, but he walked back to the back. I mean, all this stuff was fine and all the, the moves and all that stuff was really worked, but I just really felt like triple H. I mean, he was gone from the match for like 20 minutes. And I remember being there live and the crowd was definitely looking to the left, which is where the ramp was when I was there. And it's just distracting. And so, like, the plot was interesting, but the story of it was just kind of – it just didn't make sense to me as this is his best friend. And, like, they're, 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 um, they're, they're getting – what their comeuppance was so quick that I really didn't even get to enjoy it. You know, like, right. it happens so quick. Cody gets pulmonized and then stands up a couple seconds later. I mean, Jesus Christ, Stone Cold would be very upset to watch that. But yeah, so I really did not like the structure of this, uh, how this was set up. It really just took me out of everything, man. So it's a bummer. I understand what they were going for. I guess it just was not the story for me. And also that Dream Street was totally almost missed by the camera, which is a shame because it mm-hmm. almost ended Shawn Michaels' career. But yeah, I just wish this, I just wish maybe they'd done something a little different with it. I don't know. I don't know what to do, but I just, it just wasn't satisfying for me. Yeah, I gave it, I gave it three and a quarter, but. Obviously, when we're talking about Hell in a Cells, when we talk about this for a while, when when you can't amp the violence level up because you're not going to have any blood, that causes a problem because I think a lot of it takes away the essence of what Hell in a Cell is. This match should have been more vicious. Right. Um, 
obviously typical Sean getting his ass kicked because Sean's good at getting his ass kicked um, is fine. But when you got to kind of amp it back and you're only going so far, um, then it, you, the match loses its bite. Mm-hmm. And Triple H walking off, like, I don't know, it just seems stupid. Yeah, there was nothing hidden in the under the fucking ring. Triple H had to leave to go find bolt cutters. I mean, it took forever. And then he um, threw the bolt cutters on the ground when he ran into the ring to fight the guys. I was like, you got yeah. a weapon. These guys just killed your friend. Bring the I know. bolt cutters in, dude. I you know. know, die the way, you know, do like Jason did in that one thing where he just, like, <laughs> yeah, just kill him that way. Um, <laughs> I knew you'd like that. Um, you know, it, I just, I feel like this was a case where, all right, is this what we're going to get now every year for Hell in a Cell as a pay-per-view? Oh, we're going to make it a pay-per-view, so we're going to have Hell in a Cell matches, but because we're in the era where we're not going to make it like, you know, No Mercy 2002, Taker, Brock, um, you know, it's it, all these matches, all these Hell in a Cell matches are going to lose their bite. Now, Orton and Cena didn't have to have that because they were going along a different journey. But what these guys have been going these four guys have been doing to each other the last few months, this match should have been a lot more violent. And you figure Triple H and Sean would get to, you know, pull the card and go, well, we're going to make this bloody because it's us. And they didn't. So they didn't, I mean, fucking, they didn't even, you know, they pushed out on getting in Vince's face and said, yeah, we're going to have some blood. Take it or leave it. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was, it was a little, it was a bummer. I was expecting a lot more violence and didn't get it. Um, but if this ends the feud, so be it, you know, it was fine for the couple months. Uh, <laughs> well, it feels like a, a temporary write-off of legacy. I mean, this beat down is pretty vicious. So I would assume they're probably going to be off for a little bit. I would think. Yeah, I would think so. Um, you know, cause I think they're already thinking about, Bra- you know, what the theme of the next pay-per-view is, which is weird. Cause then we have back-to-back shows with the same theme uh, technically, but I was just expecting more out of this match. I really wanted violence. I thought triple H and Sean would go to Vince and, pull their old 97 shenanigans and or 95 uh, click stuff and, mm-hmm. and get some blood. Cause that really could have helped here. And they didn't, they didn't go that I agree with Rocco. It felt, it felt uh, unsatisfying. Uh, I was expecting more. I should have got more. It's like a, it's like a movie or action movie where the bad guy taunts the, the, the hero and kidnaps his wife and kills his best friend. And at the end, the, the hero just shoots him once and he's dead and the credits right. roll. And as a kid, right. that always drive me fucking nuts. It's like, no, I want to see a drone. I want to see the comeuppance, you know? Exactly. I agree. Right. That's 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 perfect. Yeah, I agree. And it's like at the end of the match, they just kind of walk out. It's like, those guys are still laying there. They kicked fucking Shawn Michaels' ass for 20 minutes, man. Throw a couple yeah, finish them. in there. Yeah, finish them. Get the bull cutters to their eyes. Yeah, man. <laughs> All right, let's get to our awards and wrap things up. Uh, for MVP, I went with Orton tonight. I thought he was... Really good in that match. He wins the world title. He's kind of back on top. He's been dominant. So, I love yeah. Orton. Love Orton. He was great. I I think I, I really like what Punk did with Taker. A very immobile Taker really made that match uh, way better than I remembered it being and uh, better than it should have been. All right, LVP. I want McIntyre. I thought it was a big spot for him, and I thought he was boring and didn't really connect. Um, I just thought it was kind of a missed opportunity for him. I, I, they didn't put him in a good spot, but he didn't step up either. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, show that you want to be there, man. Yeah, definitely. definitely. All right, best match for me is Batista and uh, Mysterio versus Jericho. Um, let's see. My highest match, my two three-and-a-halves. So I had Morrison Ziegler, and I had 
I'm going to go with Cena Orton for me. I, I thought the tag was just a blast. So Cena versus Orton. And Rock will get the tag. All right, worst match. Uh, I mean, Truth McIntyre. From the Truth Olympics. McIntyre was atrocious. Yeah, yep. All right. Uh, best moment, I went with um, Orton's punt to Cena to win a title. Yeah. I'm doing that spear on the outside. That was brutal. The spear was good, and, and I agree. I wish it was a little bit better punt, but I liked it. All right. Surprise of the night, I went with uh, Taker jobbing out Punk at winning the title. Yeah. I did not see it coming, so. I, yep. didn't, I didn't either. All right. And final grade, I, oh, it's a little bit better than last month. A little bit down from our other uh, shows we've been covering through most of this year. So I went six out of ten. So above average, um, you know, but nothing that hit four stars or above for me. Had the one shitty truth match. A couple questionable stuff with Punk getting squashed. But still like a, a fine show to watch. Um, I don't know. It's about the same as last month for me. I'm looking at my, like, aggregate grades. I had a match higher than... I had a match higher than uh, any match on this show, but that show also had I had two one two matches under two, and here I only had one. So I'm gonna I'm gonna average it out and just do the same thing. I'm gonna go with a six as well, like I did last month. It was a fine show. I just get disappointed that we're gonna get a, a pay per view based on one of the most violent gimmicks of all time, and we're never gonna get blood out of it. So that, I think that's a little that's tough, but but overall, I thought the show was fine. Um, I think it was no better or no worse than Breaking Point. So I'll, I'll keep it a six. I mean, that sounds about right. I mean, I, I just, not a lot I would rewatch though. And that's kind of how I would look at it. So besides the, the taker and the, uh, the tag, I probably wouldn't be rewatching too much of this. So that sounds about right. So we'll get like an average grade. Mm-hmm. Um, I almost fell down the stairs and I didn't like that. So I'll take one point off for that. <laughs> for you your life, work rate. Those narrow <laughs> stairs that they have all the way at the top of these stadiums, man. It's, I, I, my feet are too big. I can't handle it. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that'll do it for us. We'll be back in two weeks with Bragging Rights 2009. So we look forward to that, of course. And check out everything we have to offer at PlayStation Nation uh, Wrestling Feed, PlayStation Pop Experience, and over the North South Connection. You can find us on any podcast app or on YouTube as well at the North South Connection. A lot of video content. Follow us across social media. Of course, check out Chain to the Dead as well if yes. you're into uh, hardcore music and our buddy Rocco. You can share more info on that if you check them out on social media. So, Rocco, thanks for joining us as always. Scott, uh, thank you. We'll talk to you mm-hmm. next week. So, take care. Peace.